Welcome back, everyone, to episode number 29 of the Asset Advisor Podcast. Today, I have a very good friend on the show, Mohammed Rashid, who is a mortgage agent and advisor. And we're going to talk a lot about what's going to be happening in 2024 when it comes to interest rates. And he's the man when it comes to predictions, when it comes to what's going to be happening. So we'll do our best to make our predictions. But uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes, why don't you introduce yourself, Mohammed, and uh, how you got started into the mortgage industry and what was your path before you got into uh, mortgages? Sure. Yeah. First and foremost, I, I'm, uh, it's an honor to be on the podcast. My I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, I watch it religiously, and so it's, it's a bit of a different feeling actually being yeah. on it. But um, yeah, my, my background is I've been in like technology for for the past decade or so. Yes. Um, I got my break at a company called Flip. It's a mobile app for flyers and coupons. Right. Um, and the only reason I ever joined that company, this will this will tell you how naive I was when I was young. Uh, they were offering a free laptop and a free cell phone for employees, <laughs> and I was like, like this is the company I've yeah. got to join. And um, turned out to be one of the best decisions of my life. Nice. I, I stuck around at that company for six years. I was amongst the first like 15, 20 employees and we saw it, see, we saw it scale to you know, just over 650 people yeah. uh, worldwide. And so um, while I was at Flip, uh, my parents are immigrants, just like most people. Um, and they were in the midst of buying their first home. And so they had worked with an agent, um, weren't too familiar with how mortgages worked or how finances worked. And so, um, ended up, for lack of a better word, getting screwed on their mortgage. Oh, wow. High interest rate, uh, tons of penalties associated with it, tons of fees yeah. associated with it, but they needed to close on their first home, and so they did. Um, and so that was kind of a, like an eye-opening moment for myself yeah. in, in um, trying to see if there was a better way to do this or to learn more about what they went through. Um, and it turns out, this is, this is either good or scary, it's you know, $300, three months, and you're licensed to be a mortgage agent in Ontario. And right. so <laughs> uh, I ended up taking the course myself. Yeah. Uh, I did it as like a part-time gig side hustle. Um, and then I ended up doing mortgages in parallel with my sort of daytime, full-time career. Nice. Um, and so fast forward a few years, I ended up doing mortgages for most of the people I worked with at Flip, right. uh, just by pure word of mouth. Um, I, I stuck around at Flip for about six years. I left, I went to another startup. I, I genuinely enjoy like building from the ground up. So I joined another um, digital sampling company called right. Sampler based in Toronto, stuck around there for about a year, ran logistics. Um, before I got the itch to build my own company. Yeah. Uh, and lo and behold, this was like the marriage of these two different worlds. Nice. I had mortgage experience doing mortgages for people. I had technology experience primarily on the operations business development side. Um, and I decided to marry those two worlds by building software for mortgage brokers wow. in Canada. Um, and so uh, if you've ever met my, you know, my wife Fatima, um, probably one of my biggest supporters, but I, yeah. I quit cold turkey. <laughs> I quit my job. I have no savings. She's pregnant with our, our, our first kid. Um, and I was like, I'm going to do this. And so I quit my job. Uh, this is back in uh, July of 2018. Um, and I remember this day, like, yeah. incredibly supportive. And I, I'm super, super appreciative of her. Um, and then fast forward, we built that company for about two and a half years. Nice. Um, and we ended up selling it at the end of 2020 to uh, what's considered the monopoly in Canada for mortgage processing. It's a company called Finastra. So every time either it's a mortgage agent or a bank representative that processes a mortgage, it goes through their pipelines for right. adjudication. Um, and so we sold to them, worked there for about a year. Um, and then uh, a year after that, I ended up, uh, so my role now is sort of split into two different things. I, um, I work in the venture capital private equity world. Uh, so we take you know, institutional capital from very right. you know, high net worth wealthy people and reallocate it, their investments. And then I'm also a mortgage agent working alongside Fatima right. um, in building out our brokerage and, and, and brand across Canada. For, did for did you always have uh, this entrepreneurial spirit when you were younger? Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I always try to find the, like, the source or the origin of it. Um, my dad's an entrepreneur. He, he, he 
uh, you know, came from uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Um, he was a welder back there. He's a contractor here. Yeah. And um, I was like, I was the guy he would like pull out of bed every Saturday morning and be like, let's go to work. Right. Uh, and I would hate it. Yeah. Um, it was me, him, and my brother. And then, you know, slowly over time, I realized that the skills I learned through, you know, while I was a little kid doing this with him on the weekends, mm-hmm. a lot of those learnings have contributed to what I've been doing in my modern day. Right. Um, so I, th- I think that's where like the root of it all came from. But right, it's, been, right. it's been an incredible journey so far. Yeah, no, similar story for me as well, because when I was young, my dad, came to Canada in 1990. So he worked at RBC for a couple of years. But his background was always like business and entrepreneurship. So he had a few retail outlets for video game stores, clothing stores. So I used to go like on the weekends and (laughs) just, and I hated it. I was like, man, I I, I hated retail and I hated talking to people. Surprisingly, I'm in real estate where that's my job. But you realize that those sacrifices you make as a kid or the, the parents pushing you will actually help you you don't realize 10, in the moment, though, exactly, yeah. exactly. So that's that's an amazing story yeah. um, to see where you've gone. And, and your wife Fatima has been uh, a guest on the show a couple of times. Actually, she was actually our first guest on oh, the nice. show. <laughs> so we've come full circle now. Nice. Um, and I've worked with you guys for a few years now, so it's been an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, now, just kind of giving our audience sort of a recap, you know, about the interest rate world. Obviously, there's been a lot of news, a lot of headlines. <laughs> uh, so what's going on? It's a very interesting time. But before we do that, can you sort of recap um, what's been happening with interest rates in the last 18 months, I guess, since the height of the lockdown and where we are now in this present day? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's probably been one of the most turbulent rides yeah. you know, we'll experience in our lifetimes and, and hopefully the last one. Um, but the context of it is, you know, a lot of what happened in the last, let's say, 12 to 18 months is driven by what's going on in the economy. And so, you know, think back to the very beginning a lot of the interest rates uh, and the interest rate declines that happen are driven by COVID and the slowdown in the economy and a lot of those things. And, it, and it's important to understand that interest rates are a lever that you can pull to fuel the economy. And so when the market slows down, you'll see the Bank of Canada reduce its interest rates, you'll see bond yields come down, et cetera, all in an effort to um, get people to spend in the economy. And so um, you can imagine everybody and their mother, you know, when interest rates are sitting at half a percent or, or right. almost 1%, um, there's a flurry of activity. You see the housing market boom. And so this was around um, up until probably we saw the, 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 the most impact of COVID, probably around March, April of 2020. Right. Um, and so that's a little bit further back. But it was around that time, uh, up until that moment, that we, we saw the end of the, the half percent, one percent interest rates. And so that was the first of almost nine, 10 consecutive rate hikes yeah. um, that occurred over the last little while. And uh, all in an effort to say, look, we had CERB, we had small business loans, we had um, low interest rates, all that fueled the activity, and it moved a lot faster than the, right. the, the bank expected. Yeah. And so the idea that these interest rate increases that happened were an effort to try and scale back, bring housing prices down, bring spending in, in, in line. Um, and so that's the reason we've seen the nine consecutive hikes. Now, on the interest rate side, you know, probably up until March 2020, everybody was um, you know, there was sort of split focus between locking into fixed rates because they were mm-hmm. on an all-time low, or no one could have anticipated nine consecutive right. hikes. And so a lot of people were opting for variable, especially on investment properties. Um, those are the people that have probably been hurt the most. Right. Um, and you look back at all the pundits and all the experts, and, and us included, you know, right. because we couldn't anticipate nine consecutive rate hikes, variable seemed like the right option at that time. Right. And so that tune has changed over the last little while. And 
Um, the sad part is nobody has a crystal ball. Yeah. So I, I would say like 90 plus percent of predictions, maybe 99 percent of predictions right. were wrong um, over the last 12 months. And, and you, you think if COVID never happened, do you think we would still see rate hikes or was this always going to be the plan or rates were going to stay low? Yeah, I think historically, if you look at the trend in housing prices, yeah. like we always had a steep rise happening. Yeah. Let's say rates didn't hit one, one and a half percent. Let's say they, they, they leveled out at two or three percent. I think there still would have been a flurry of activity. And I think right. that's also driven by, um, like even look at the immigration numbers. I think it was yeah. in 2020, it was announced that, you know, 1.2 million immigrants are going yeah. to come to Canada. Yeah. Where are you going to put them? Right. Uh, and so you see a mix between, you know, we, we operate Canada wide. So we see right. activity in Nova Scotia, we see in Ontario, we see healthy activity in Alberta. Mm. Um, but the concentration of them are coming to Ontario. And exactly. so I think what we've seen, um, like would have been amplified back in 2020. It would have happened anyways if the rates didn't increase. Um, I think the rates are to a certain extent doing what they were designed to do, slow down the economy. I think you probably noticed this yourself. Right. Towards the end of 2023, we seen a massive slowdown in activity. Mm. People are either on the fence, they're waiting to see what happens, they're hoping that the rate declines happen, um, but the rates did what they were supposed to, even though they caused a, a world of hurt for a lot of people. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, now, we're seeing a ton of headlines and predictions for next year when it comes to rates. <laughs> like, yeah. I've seen some people make some ridiculous uh, predictions, and it's yeah. all opinions, so it's fair. I mean, people have their opinions and their, and their stats. Um, you being in the mortgage world and, and knowing people in the mortgage industry, um, what are the conversations you're having, and, and what is your personal prediction for 2024? Are rates going to go down, and by how much? Yeah, I think, uh, again, nobody's got the crystal ball. I think everybody's throwing a blind dart right now. And, and try to figure out what happens. I think the most important thing to look at is like what serves as influence and inspiration for how Canada defines its rates. And so, you know, a few things come to mind. Number one, um, you know, immigration hasn't changed this year. Um, towards the end of the year, we still have strong numbers. I think it was like, the target was like 460 yeah. some odd thousand uh, for, for Canada to pull in immigration. Number two, you know, we look to the U.S.'s influence for what's going to happen in Canada. And so the U.S., so far has defined that they're gonna do three rate cuts over the course of 2024. So we can look at that as an indication for what's gonna happen in Canada. Um, but the reason it's like really hard to make a prediction is, you know, I was at a mortgage conference last year listening to Benjamin Tall, who's the CNBC oh, nice. chief economist. Yeah. Um, and this was like, I think it was in August or September and he was absolutely confident. He was having conversations with the Bank of Canada yeah. and his advice to them was like, do not increase rates. And he's like, I feel confident that that's where we're going to land. Right. And lo and behold, the next announcement is they increase the rates. Yeah. And so um, that's why I say it's really hard for anybody yeah. to predict. But where I would land is, I think the Bank of Canada is now realizing that people have felt the impact of the rate hikes that have happened. Right. And so when we look to next year, I think where the gamble is, I think rates are going to come down. They have to because people are, have been pushed to the brink yeah. of being able to support what they are, they're able to support. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, of the announcements that are going to happen next year, I'd say it's probably between, you know, really optimistic is like March, April. Right. We see a decline happen. <clears throat> um, neutral territory is sort of towards the, the, the middle of the year, the June, July phase. And then really pessimistic is towards the end of the year. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in the, the incredibly optimist okay. <laughs> uh, in that I think it's going to happen in the yeah. early part of the year. Really? I think okay. you start to look at and we'll get to this in a second, but you start to look at the, the foreclosures that are happening or the power of sales. Yeah. And uh, I think you might see it in the pre-construction world as well. People are, are passing up their deposits on assignments and um, people have sort of hit the brink of what they're, yeah. they're able to support. And so 
all that is fuel for the Bank of Canada to say, okay, maybe we pushed it to the brink. Right. Now let's reel it back in a little bit by dropping rates and fueling activity. Yeah, and it's interesting what you said because you're talking from, I guess, more boots on the ground, um, you know, uh, like you're talking to customers and, and, and yeah. clients and so am I, and I'm, I'm kind of seeing that as well. So I guess boots on the ground, what are the conversations you're having with your current clients? Like are people being squeezed? Are you seeing people potentially that are going to have to sell because of mortgage defaults? Like what are those conversations look like right now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's grim. Uh, yeah. And, and it's it a takes word. a really That's strong a stomach to, to, yeah. to have these types of conversations. Yeah. I think yeah. um, there's a few things that play to consider. So number one, you've seen values of properties probably in the million plus range see drastic drops. And so for folks who bought in the last, you know, let's say one to three years that bought at peaks, their values are nowhere near what they used to be. Mm. Um, so that's, that's one part of the equation. Number two, for people who opted for a variable rate, um, a true variable, which means your payments are adjusting with the Bank of Canada's adjustments, um, they're feeling the pinch a lot more than others. Some people who are sitting the $600,000 plus mortgage are seeing their payments increase by right. you know, 1,000, 1,500 bucks a month. Yeah. Um, and that's a material amount for people to feel an impact. Um, and then the third piece is with the, the cost of living in general, I don't know if you've been to yeah. grocery store recently, it's, <laughs> uh, it's night and day in terms yeah. of what the cost of living is for, for people in, yeah. in this area. So um, all of those factors combined, a lot of the discussions we're having, if, if, and it's important to understand in the mortgage world, there's two types of conversations we have. We're either focusing on the people who are buying homes, purchasing, and that happens in a rate neutral environment. Yeah. Um, when there's not a lot of purchase activity happening, we're looking at the renewal refinance. So the right. world sort of balances itself out. And so in this renewal refinance world, what's happening is because of all these factors, uh, on the renewal side, people are having sticker shock. Mm. So I was in a 2% rate, I now have to refinance at like a 6% rate. Right. That's a huge change in your monthly yeah. mortgage payments if they're not prepared for it. And then number two, some people are opting to add home equity line of credits or refinance to pull out that equity to just sustain their livelihood. And the hope right. is they're holding their breath that in the next year or at least a year after, they have enough buffer to ride this wave out yeah. until rates come down to a more reasonable point. And so yeah. <clears throat> people are feeling the pinch. We're seeing people try to refinance where the values don't support it. Right. And we're seeing people have to, you know, in, in very dire situations, yeah. being forced to sell their homes just yeah. to, to get out underwater. Yeah, and, and that's concerning because I, I've unfortunately have had to help a few clients this year sell their homes because of the situation. But I'm not sure if you've seen it. Like I was expecting a lot more distressed sales, a lot more sellers sort of saying, you know what, we can't handle payments. But to be honest, like I haven't seen like a flood of inventory. I'm not sure if it's they're trying to run out the wave or if they're going to make that decision in the next six to eight months. Like is it just timing? Have you seen that flood of inventory or people sort of calling like, look, I can't last another three months. Yeah, it's, um, I, my personal opinion yeah. based on like what we see is that a lot of people are holding out on hope okay. that okay. things are gonna calm down or, yeah. or rates are gonna come down to a much more reasonable position. And by doing that, they're extending themselves on credit in other mm -hmm. aspects. So okay. I'm gonna borrow from my HELOC to weather this storm yeah. or I'm gonna refinance yeah. my home to pull out equity. And so in some of those situations, yeah. um, you know, financially to be responsible, it's our, it's our recommendation that, hey, you, you, you probably need to sell now. Yeah. Um, and so we, ha we have that dialogue with a few customers. And I think, you know, on the purchase side, uh, you often hear about bank of mom and dad and family right. helping out. And that's happening in this world as well. Right. In this refinance renewal world where people need the extra capital, family stepping in just like they would on a purchase to try and help everybody sort of weather that storm. But mm -hmm. a lot of people, and my hypothesis as to why we're not seeing it as as much as we think we should, right. um, is everybody sort of bending together to try and weather the storm together. Yeah. But 
in contrast, that pushes people to a much deeper brink yeah. than, than ideally they It's like, like only to. a matter of time, right? Like how much can exactly. you hold on? You exactly. Know, at some point, the bubble is going to burst. Yeah. Exactly. And it's going to burst. And if it bursts, it could cause a lot of pain and, and problems down the road for sure. Exactly. Um, unless the Bank of Canada decreases its rates, which I think hopefully they're, like you said, they are planning on doing so. Right. Um, even with that decrease, let's say if it's a 1% decrease in the course of the next 12 months, is that enough relief for people? Or do you still think people are going to have to sell or there's going to be defaults yeah, it's, happening? It's relief nevertheless, yeah. um, but it's relief after you've exhausted all your, right. your like your, your war chest. Yeah. Um, and so if you've used up your savings, if you've used up your, your line of credits, um, it, it, it makes it that much more difficult. Yeah. But I think um, the silver lining here is the people who have now become accustomed to like a 6% or a 7% interest rate, yeah. any decrease in interest rates will be helpful to them. Yeah. They've managed cash flow at the, the absolute maximum. Yeah. Anything that can that, that can reduce their payments um, will be helpful for them. I think right. where um, where a lot of the focus <laughs> is going to be over the next twelve months is renewals. Yeah, uh, I think it's all, like, almost twenty five percent of mortgages are coming up for renewal right. next year, and so the idea that people in that two to three percent range will now see um, you know rates around like you know six six and a half right now, um, they'll feel that pain, and yeah. so uh, it's our responsibility to figure out how to navigate that. What right. are their options look like? Where's the best rates exist, etc. Yeah. So. A lot of that dialogue is happening much earlier right. than anticipated to prep for what's going to happen. Right. Um, so I, I talked to a lot of optimistic realtors sure. as well, and people in the economy. Where a lot of people are thinking that, you know, once the bank kind of drops their rates even by half a percent or one percent, that the market is just going to explode again. Me personally, because I've seen this in 2017 when mm -hmm. there was a little bit of a crisis when sure. Ontario came out with their rules and it slowed down the market big time. You know. The year following, the market did improve, but it was very minimal. So it wasn't an explosion right. of activity. I believe personally that you know the market will pick up a little bit, but I don't see this flood of buyers coming back all of a sudden. And the reason why is because number one, rates are still going to be pretty high, mm -hmm. um, and number two, I think you know a lot of people, in my opinion, are still waiting for or trying to time the market, right? So I'm not sure what your thoughts on, are on the prediction of the market going forward, but do you think that a small rate cut is going to you know, bring a flurry of activity or will it just be kind of gradual? Yeah, I think um, my, my honest opinion is that there's, there's likely a lag in when we see the material impact of yeah. like rate pauses or rate declines. And so um, the idea that like in our conversations, people are on the fence, people think Technically, we've bottomed out right now, yeah. and that um, the only way is for rates to decline and for, for prices to increase. And so a lot of people with that knowledge seeing two consecutive pauses are now feeling a little bit more comfortable entering the market. Right. Um, where the dynamic changes is like, what are their expectations in terms of what they can qualify for? Yeah. So the general rule of thumb for people who used to be able to buy you know, 20% down typically um, was like you would be able to qualify for five and a half times your household income. Yeah. Um, with the rate hikes that have happened, that's reduced about four and a half times. Mm. So almost like 20% decrease in um, your purchasing power. And so for the folks who have been sitting on the sidelines prepped, um, they're ready to pull the trigger as soon as possible in anticipation of rates coming down. Right. And we'll get into like now the rate conundrum of should I go fixed or variable? Yeah, but yeah. Um, the idea that this activity is like slowly starting to ramp up. And I think the first rate hike will be the indication that, um, you know, there's going to be a a number of consecutive declines yeah. um, and sort of capitalize on it. But from, from our perspective, I think 
we're not going to know that there's a flurry of activity until like almost after the fact. Yeah. Like we'll see, we'll yeah. see business picking up, we'll see activity happening, but you won't know that it's widespread until you see the news headlines say, hey, yeah. there's been a bunch of activity, a bunch of right. uh, home purchases happened. So I think that lag causes us mm. to think that we're not in it, but I um, just even in the, the, the um, you know, fragmented conversations we're having, yeah. There's activity there. It's just right. it's going to the volume's going to pick up in, in very okay. quick fashion. Okay, I've asked your wife this question in the past sure. about <laughs> you know what to do when it comes to mortgage fixed or variable. Yeah, and, and she gives. I mean, she, her answer is really good because she always mentions that it's based on your personal preference and, and what you, you know, what's what gives you peace of mind at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that was a year and a half ago when rates were slowly increasing. Mm -hmm. Now with the prediction of rates coming down. Like, how do you advise to somebody what mortgage they should get? How do you time that, you know, product for an individual? Yeah, I think um, probably one of the few things we're like wholeheartedly aligned on. Yeah. Uh, you know, we work together and we live <coughs> together, but at, you know, interest rates and, and being based on personal preference is something yeah. we're 100% aligned on. I think, um, and I also go back to my original point where, you know, you listen to chief economists across all these banks, you listen to all the predictions that are happening and everybody was wrong over the last 12 months. Yeah. And so it's very hard to rely on somebody's prediction for where rates are gonna go. It seems obvious in light right now. The other thing I look at is like, I look at historical trends and, mm. and um, if you look at all the consecutive rate hikes that have happened in the past, let's say over the last like 40, 50 years, um, one of the most like telltale facts is that at the last rate hike that occurs, it typically takes nine to 14 months-ish for rates to come back to a normal level. Right. And so let's say our last hike was in, I think it was in like October. Um, let's say that was the last hike. So from now until uh, about 14 months out is when we should, we should expect to see rates go down. Now that's like looking at past trends, et cetera, and, and, and where things are going to head. But on the topic of whether you, you choose fixed or variable, it, it, it genuinely does boil down to personal comfort. Right. And even if you think rates are going to go down, let's say we, we, we see some sort of freak accident and rates you know, magically go back up for a certain point again, as an individual, can you stomach yeah. the idea that your payments may go up? Right. Because people may look at their mortgage payments as a fixed amount, it's never gonna change, but for folks who offer a variable rate, if it does, how does that impact your lifestyle? Yeah. And so the idea that um, we're seeing a lot of people now switch between, you know, shorter term fixed rates, um, you know, ride this wave out in hopes that rate decline and refinance in, you know, two or three years. If you wanna sleep easy, if you want to know that your payment will not, without a shadow of a doubt, change over the course right. of the next three years, and you're still going to continue to make payments towards your principal, you are absolutely in the fixed camp. Yeah. If you want to roll the dice and gamble and, and have the stomach for it, yeah. um, the, the trend shows that we should be riding the wave down on variable, but know that anything can happen in this market. Oh, yeah. And so if a rate does go up, you won't, you won't feel the pinch, right. nor will you feel bad uh, right. if they go up. So I, that's why... I often associate like variable rate holders as like gamblers. <laughs> so uh, not legitimately, yeah. but they, they can, they have a certain level of risk tolerance, risk tolerance that yeah. others, others might not have. Right. And I guess right now sitting here, January 1st, 2024, um, what are the rates looking, right, looking like right now? Like I've heard some banks already reduce their fixed rates. Um, yeah. What are you seeing right now in terms of yeah, rates, I think fixed and variable? On, on where rates are at, it's, it's important to understand two things. So on variable rates, it's pegged against the, the Bank of Canada's overnight right. lending rate. So variable rates will not change mm. unless uh, the Bank of Canada reduces or increases its right. rate. Um, but on the fixed side, they're tagged uh, to the, the bond yields. And so as the government of Canada's bonds 
you know, they increase or decrease their yields. That where, that's where you see activity happen on the fixed side. And so over the last, I want to say like four or five weeks, we've seen a steady decline. Okay. And it's typical for the end of the year yeah. that bond yields are seeing a, a steady decrease. And so um, on the, the high ratio side, where you're putting less than 20% down, it's under a million dollar purchase price, rates have cracked the four. Okay. Uh, so we're in like the four nine nine four yeah. nine four mark right. uh, for high ratio mortgages. In the the twenty percent and above uh, down payments, million dollar plus homes, um, you're probably sitting around the the for people opting for shorter terms, you're in and around like the six six and a half range. Okay. Um, and because of what's going on in the market and the anticipation for rates to go down, the bond yields to go down, a lot of people are opting for anywhere between one to three year fixed rates. They're a little bit higher, right. but the idea is. I'll feel the pain for one or two years. Yeah. I'd rather not lock myself into a five-year term at like five and a half or yeah. you know, 6%. Um, so being able to capitalize on the shorter terms in hopes that we do see a one, one and a half percent decline over the next year right. and they refinance into something a lot lower. Right, um, gotcha. Rates. Um, what are some regulation news or updates that uh, you've been looking at? Because I know there's been a ton of talk and discussion. Um, what can we anticipate for 2024 when it comes to the stress test and amortization? What's, what's the word of the street right now when it comes to those regulations? Yeah, you kind of rely on the, the, <laughs> the insurance bodies like the CBC yeah. or the Bank of Canada to run these. Um, and they've run assessments over the course of the last 12 months. And um, to be completely frank, they've yielded nothing. Okay. And so um, like that's tax, yeah. tax dollars going to use. And so the, the idea was, like, can we assess the stress test? Yeah. Is it a... Um, is a viable or legitimate way to be able to test somebody's ability right. to purchase. You know, the stress test cap was 5.25 when rates were lower. Yeah. We're now seeing people qualify at like eight, 9% yeah. right now. And so um, that was the big question mark is should we still continue to do that? And yeah. they conducted a four, long, four, month, four or five month long assessment. They had input from brokers, from consumers, and the net result was we're not changing anything. Okay. Um, so there are no material changes planned right. yet. Okay. There's still assessments happening on the go, but my, my personal opinion is that's going to go back to the back burner. Okay. The idea that there's an expectation that rates will continue to decline over the next 12 months means it becomes less of a problem that people are voicing their opinion on yeah. um, because it's heading in the direction that they expect to. As it goes up and as we hit the 8 9%, everyone was vocal about the stress yeah. test not being a, um, a valid method to determine qualification. Right. Um, but now we're sort of seeing that pull back a little bit now that we're heading in the right direction. Yeah. I guess because the stress test is brought in because they wanted to protect consumers, I guess, when yeah. it's like at two, two and a half, and to see if they qualify for 5%, five and a half. So if yeah. we're already at five, 6% rates, why do they still have to qualify at 8%? Like, I never understood that. Yeah, I, I, you it. know, I'm, I'm probably the one person in that side of the camp that I think yeah. the stress test is important. I think okay. like for financial, like, like just being prepared on the financial side of things, um, the idea that nobody could have prepared ourselves, like, I think the Bank of Canada never anticipated themselves yeah. going beyond 5.25. Um, and so the fact that we sit in that camp, even folks that are qualifying at 6, 7, 8, 9%, yeah. I think it's a relevant exercise for them to go through to understand right. that this you know, freak accident that happened in rate hikes yeah. could happen again. Yeah. And so yeah. I think it's a good exercise to just be prepared on the consumer side. Um, and a lot of the times what people don't realize is when you go into these qualifications, on the mortgage side, just a general rule of thumb is like the banks, the bank, um, the guidelines are you don't want to exceed, you know, 44% of your household income um, associated with your debt obligations. Yeah. And that's total. And that's against gross household income, yeah. not net. Right. So that means your car payments, your utilities, yeah. your debts, your credit cards, your line of credits, your home expenses should not exceed 44%. Yeah. The reality of this situation is people are probably like 80 plus percent <laughs> and, and maybe paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And so, 
one of the, the key things to understand is while that stress test happens on the mortgage side and it caps you at 44% for all your expenditures, the minute you close on a home, there's nobody rechecking to make sure that right. you're still within the 44%. So yeah. the person who buys a house and then goes immediately buys a car yeah. or yeah. you know goes on a lavish vacation, et cetera, those things aren't factored in and that starts to surmount to a certain right. point. Um, it makes it difficult for people. So I think, I think the stress test is relevant uh, as much as people hate it. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't do a complete job, yeah. but it, to a certain extent, looks out for the consumer right. um, in, in purchasing. It makes sense. Um, you were talking about renewals earlier, right? So we're going to hit the bulk of renewals probably the next couple of years. Yep. Um, as these renewals come up and people kind of feel that sticker shock of, of price increases or mortgage <laughs> payment increases, <clears throat> where do you see, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but where do you <laughs> see the, the market going? Like, do you think with the increase in, in mortgage payments for every household, is there going to be capacity for, you know, more people to enter the market uh, in the future, given the home prices? Yeah, I think there's uh, two ways to look at renewals. And so there's like one side of the equation, which is I get a renewal notice and I am going to shop it around because I don't think my bank's going to yeah. be the best offer. And so there may be a little bit of wiggle room to save you some money on a monthly basis. Yeah. Um, but that comes at a cost because right. you now have to refinance with another bank. You've got to pay legal yeah. fees, et cetera. And it's got to be worthwhile from a dollar's perspective for you to make that jump and, and pay that cost. Um, for a lot of people who are feeling the bind or the pinch, um, when a renewal notice gets sent to you, oftentimes people will just sign the paper and renew. There's no requalification that happens. Right. There's no checking of your, your ratios or your uh, income levels, et cetera. And so oftentimes some of the easiest path to avoid the stress that people might face in having to qualify. Yeah. They just sign the renewal notice and they carry on yeah. as is and they, they figure out a way anything. to make them. They yeah. don't check anything at all. Yeah. And so they, they make it a point to just figure out a way to make their monthly obligations. Right. Um, and so that's, that's the two camps we sit in. I think one of the things that we stress the most is it's never, like it doesn't cost you anything right. to explore your options. Yeah. Um, and so there, you know, I don't know if you read, there was a, a Scotiabank article that came out, uh, I think it was a couple months ago and they openly say that they're looking to call their customers. So the idea that they grade their customers internally and decide who is a, is a worthy customer or not. Mm. And in that camp, they're gonna be offering renewal rates much higher than some other lenders okay. um, in an effort to get that customer to move away. Oh, wow. Seems like a crazy practice, <laughs> right? And so it's their way of trimming their book to yeah. sort of keep their customers in a certain, right. you know, within certain parameters. And so in that world where somebody you know, may just want to sign and continue on, that's the world in which we encourage people, like just have a conversation. It could be us, it could be yeah. some, another mortgage broker, somebody you trust, yeah. but have the conversation understand, is this piece of paper that I have in front of me right. a good offer yeah. or are they taking advantage of me and is there somewhere else that I can, yeah. I can uh, seek out a better rate? Yeah. Oftentimes, even going back to your own bank and negotiating with them may actually yield a better result. Right, not some great advice. I, I always say to my clients, I, you know what, just speak to a mortgage broker, speak yep. to you or Fatima. Um, it's, you know, it's a consultation, but you never know, you might get something yeah. better. Right the, at the, the, end of the day. number one question we get yeah. uh, anytime somebody engages with us is like, what, what's your fees and, yes. and what do you charge? And I think <laughs> yeah. um, like to like bust the myth, yeah, yeah. you know, we don't charge any fees. We get paid right. by the bank. Right. And so the idea is it's in our best interest to yeah. find you a product right. that makes sense Absolutely. and where to place you. And so um, it's our responsibility to, yeah. you know, we have access to over 120 different lenders. Right. We can see 3000 plus mortgage products. Yeah versus you going to a single bank and only having an array of maybe three yeah, or four products. Absolutely. It's very important to have that dialogue, whether with us or anybody else, right. just have the conversation. Right, absolutely. Makes sense. Yeah. No, that's, that was a great discussion on interest rates. Um, we're going to talk about something else now, sure, which I didn't sure. warn you on, but <laughs> do with all my guests yeah. to kind of get you to know you more personally on a personal level. Sure, so of course. Uh, let's talk about, um, real quickly, uh, what's your favorite place to travel? Dubai. 
Dubai. Okay. Yeah, I think it's, uh, uh, we're actually going nice. <laughs> in, okay. in, in February, but I think it's the, I find it's like the yeah. best of like all worlds. I think yeah. I'd, I'd love looking for a place that has halal food. Yeah. Um, and there's like a number of options. That's key, I think, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think yeah. um, there's so much to explore yeah. that even if you're gone for a year, the next year you come back, there's like all these new things for you to discover and explore. Yeah. And then number three for me is like most important is um, we've got two kids. So yeah. uh, a seven-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. And so it's really important that anywhere we go has a lot of activities for them. And right. so, um, and last year, how, how can you beat the weather? Like, come yeah. on. Especially in February. <laughs> when you look at, <laughs> you look at Toronto like this right now, it's like you really want to get away as soon as possible. So. Well, that's, that's good. That's um, an awesome place to be. Yeah. Um, favorite uh, cuisine or a place to eat? Cuisine? Yeah. Um, not sure if you saw my last podcast with uh, the I did. I, I, Mujahid is <laughs> like the renowned expert. Quite so a few recommendations. I, I got to take him up on his uh, What's burger your recommendations. Yeah. I'm, I'm honestly like, I, I, I really love like Pakistani food. Uh, oh, really? Like okay. Lahori or... Okay, nice. Um, like really get your hands yeah. dirty, kebabs, chickens. <laughs> like that's my, my yeah, go-to. That's your go-to. My favorite, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, favorite movie or TV show? Favorite if movie? You get time to watch. I'm a, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I love movies. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big, um, I'm a big like Christopher Nolan fan. So okay. I love like the Interstellars, the Inceptions, nice. the Dark Knight series yeah, yeah. that he did. Um, him and, and, and Guy Ritchie. So okay. um, like Snatch and all these other yeah. movies. I love like the, those two directors yeah. and anything that they, they put together. Nice. So Dark Knight's yeah. definitely a classic. So yeah. I got to yeah. watch it before the holidays end. So that's <laughs> on my list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Last question is, what's the best piece of advice somebody ever gave you? The best piece of advice somebody ever gave me is um, always say yes mm. and, and figure it out. And I think this was like most important for me when I was building our company. It was called Door. Yeah. Um, the idea was you start off, it was myself and two of the co-founders um, and, and we started off the business, you know, like wide-eyed and super excited. And yeah. it turns out that the world of, of entrepreneurship isn't as glamorous as it, right. as, it, as it seems to be in the media and, you know, companies raising hundreds of millions of dollars. It is uh, like high intensity, high stress. Um, and, you know, even when you start hiring folks, you have a bunch of people that are, are, are um, you're responsible for. Yeah. And so uh, one of the things, uh, it was actually my uncle who told me this, who's, who's an entrepreneur as well. His advice was, you know, never say no to a customer. Always, always say yes and find a way to accomplish or achieve right. what it is they're trying to do. And um, for us, one of the, the services we had launched in, in, on our platform was, um, you know, mortgage brokers found it really difficult to, uh, I would ask a customer, I need your notice of assessments, I need your T1 generals, I need your T4s, et cetera. And half the people <laughs> never remember when they get their documents where they yeah. put them. Yeah. And so we had built one of the first services in Canada through our platform that allow these mortgage brokers to retrieve, as long as they have authorization from the customer, retrieve those documents directly from the CRA on their behalf. Oh, nice. Um, and they would pull it within 30 seconds. Wow. Um, and so we had, you know, somebody had told us, a lot of people told us about their problems, they told us yeah. about the challenges and that existed for them, and we're like, we're gonna figure it out. Yeah. And I had no idea how we were gonna do it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I had the backing of my two co-founders who yeah. were like incredible engineers and product guys. Um, and we went back to the drawing board and we spent a couple of weeks trying to figure out a solution for what we thought was one of the biggest problems. Yeah. Uh, and we were the first to bring it to market. And nice. so it lives with me that um, it's kind of like that, like fake it till you make it, but not yeah, don't yeah. really fake it. Um, right. Have conviction, have confidence that you can achieve what you right. set your mind to. Yeah. Um, 
and take the roadblocks as they come, the challenges as yeah. they come. It's all a learning experience for you yeah. as you progress. No, that's fantastic, man. Thank you so much, Moment. I appreciate it. I appreciate really you Really admire me. your success and story. Thank you, likewise. And uh, <laughs> if you have any questions on the mortgage side, you can obviously talk to Mohammed and Fatima as well. Um, amazing mortgage brokers and advisors. We'd love to give you a consultation. Um, if you have any questions about the real estate market in 2024, feel free to reach out to me as well. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you very much, guys.